Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. And that is certainly the case on this podcast because we're going to be talking about Karl Marx. <laughs> this is Jordan's idea. We're going to be getting right into Marxist theory. Right after, can we just say this? These two quick commercial breaks. Yep, we've got some sponsors <laughs> right before we talk about Karl Marx. So we're actually going to be destroying uh, Karl Marx's arguments. <laughs> Neil and Jordan destroy Marxists. <laughs> so uh, this podcast is, uh, we've got a new sponsor actually. <coughs> if you listen to Sex Cells, you may have already heard about this sponsor, but they're fantastic. Steady Freddy, they have a wide range of male sexual health Products, they've got condoms, which are, hey, if you're a Marxist, you're not going to need that. Am I right? Yeah, so true. So true. <laughs> they've you got, people suck. <laughs> they've, got, they've, got the, they've got ball boost tablets, which is the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> Insert. And then, uh, but uh, their most famous product is the premature ejaculation spray. If you struggle with premature ejaculation, they've got a specially formulated spray, formulated by Dr. David Reiner, all approved by regulatory authorities. And uh, premature ejaculation, it is very, it's very common, okay? Happens to one in three guys, and it's not just coming after 30 seconds. It's, it's not lasting as long as you'd like to last. So go to steadyfreddy.com and use the code Neil Jordan. That's the code for you. Use the code Neil Jordan for 15% off all their wonderful products. And as always, we're also sponsored by Crush Organics, wide range of CBD oil products, Crush Organics, Crush with a K. Uh, use whatever CBD oil you like. They've got something for everyone there. They've got the day and night oil, the everyday oil, the platinum oil, the diamond oil. They've got gummies. They've got bath bombs. They've got CBD oil for your pets. There'd be no World War Three. There'd, there'd be no inflation. Well, even if there is inflation, you wouldn't you get, care about you it. You wouldn't care about it. You'd be relaxed. You wouldn't be stressed. Go to crushorganics.com, use the code NEIL, get 40% off. All right. Let's talk about Marxism. Do you want to talk about. <laughs> oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> that was everything I hoped it would be. I'm very proud of us. This is great. It's something, A, a, a topic that I hate, which is political theory, and just disrespecting it as much as humanly possible. Just, nothing would be making Karl Marx roll over more in his grave. Surely. Than that. Than that. Just commodifying <laughs> his theory. <laughs> Fuck. Commodifying uh, It's very disrespectful. Discussions. It re- <laughs> yeah. Oh, it my is. God. <laughs> uh, he, see, this is the whole thing that freaks me out about it. He's not wrong. Okay, so what He's do you want to do? Right, right, right. So, look, I don't. I definitely am not an expert on this. I've, I've only read the Commun- Communist Manifesto. I have not read Das Kapital. Mm. I know the basic gist of his arguments, but uh, what makes you want to talk about- Do you want to talk about Marxism or do you want to talk about the man, Karl Marx? Well, I want to talk about- Look- See, look, I need to put out this proviso, always do. I hate political theory. The reason I hate political theory is everybody just argues about its interpretation. It's essentially the Bible. You know, you read Karl Marx and if you get too into it, that's when you start getting the lisp. It comes an identity. There's nothing wrong in your life. It's all the- uh, System's fault. The bourgeoisie. Yes. Yeah. Everything. And it's capitalism. Yeah. Everything except you. Everything. The fact that there is something wrong wrong with you is capitalism. Yeah, that's how deep it goes. The idea 
that there is something wrong with the idea of having to take responsibility is a capitalist construct. Yes. That's, that's how you know deep how the it rabbit goes. hole Yeah, that's how deep the rabbit hole goes. And this is the whole thing about Marx's theory is he's kind of right about that too. Well, there's this a lot of truth to all of this stuff, isn't there? It's just about the way it's used. I don't know. Look, this is where I want to talk about it because uh, when I had COVID, I couldn't really think about anything else. I had I watched Horrible Bosses 1 and 2, mm. thought it was amazing, then realised the next day I was delirious from my flu and that film sucks. So, <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then uh, my friend was just ringing up and he was reading Das Kapital. So, it brought me back to my first year uni lecture notes and- as Neil is saying, I'm conceding defeat. We don't need all of the smug comments that are going to come to this, even though they are coming. But, yeah, you, look, whatever, you're probably right. But I'm just saying that personally, as I've said before in this podcast, I have a lot more respect for someone like Bill Shorten than Karl Marx. That's kind of hard to say because he's, you know, he's such a seminal thinker. There's a reason you know the name Karl Marx because he's such a genius, this man. There was very few thinkers, even if you even if you don't agree with Karl Marx and you've read Das Kapital, right? You gotta respect, you have to respect how thorough that theory is. Without a doubt. You know, like I mean, that it, is a serious academic work. Has there been a more impactful work of political theory? At least in the last couple of centuries. Surely not. I mean, this is the whole thing. The other side of politics is always trying to be like, yeah, Adam Smith. And it's like, I guess I sort of know that name because you're bringing it up. But it's still nowhere near as big mm. as Karl mm. Marx. In the 20th century especially. Surely. No one really had more of an impact no, on Christ the world. No, no. And it's because when you do read it, you do have exactly that moment that was advertised. Uh, sorry, that was shown on- Seinfeld, when Kramer gets a job at the mall as Santa Claus and he reads a pamphlet about communism <laughs> and starts getting really into it. And then a kid sits on his lap and says, I want a toy robot for Christmas. He goes, do you know how many children were exploited in the third world to create that toy? And then he goes, exploited? Hey, this guy's a communist. And then the security guard comes up and is like, someone talking about communism here? And then the manager of the mall comes out and is like, you're going to have to leave. You're fired. And then they're walking down the street with the midget dressed as the elf and him being like, why did you have to bring that up? And he goes, I didn't realize communism was that big of a deal. And he says, you didn't realize communism was a big deal? I think that that is actually a genius encapsulation of what happens when you get too deep down this rabbit hole because it is right. quite red pilly. And they are- uh, uh, what what was this Seinfeld? Seinfeld. Well, that was it. So I think that they that was a that show in. that was trying to make a profit, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Owned. <Owned. laughs> <laughs> I think it's just look. It's not that I am a genius. I don't even. I'm, I'm nowhere near versed on it. I'm going basically off a of first year uni notes. I've obviously heard lecturers talk about it since, to refresh my memory. You read little theory abstracts here and there. So, I'm not, by any means, this is not the seminal work of it. But I was trying to explain it to another friend after they were explaining it to me. Let me just put it to you this way. This is the basic concept of his theory. When people always say, this is why I want to just get to this point. When people say, he's a Marxist, M you know, Marxism doesn't work. You know what you're really saying there? Instead of criticising the movie, 
you're criticizing the film critics review of the movie. It's a weird attack. Okay. Mostly what Marxism is, is saying this is the system that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of a bit like Noam Chomsky. He doesn't really offer many solutions. He basically offers zero solutions. The genius of Marx was to just be like, this is how the world works. So, he was analytical and then the uh, politicians that employed his uh, theories into action and- and Tried to do something about it. That, that, those are these critics that you're ostensibly talking about, right? Go again. When you said you're criticizing the critic, the, the, the critics of the film and not the film itself. Well, I'm just saying that Karl Marx really, at his core, what his work is based off is just criticizing the economic system. Yeah. Sure. That's all he's doing. Okay. So, to criticize Marx- the way that people criticize him, they always say like, oh, that was tried in Russia. And it's like, but it wasn't, you know, like, and when people say, oh, the people always say it wasn't. It's just like, but you can't. Do you, you think- can't ever implement it because all it is is a criticism. Russ is not offering any solutions. solutions. Although, is it? Because, again, look, I have to say this is one where I, I'm really not an expert in, but doesn't he talk about the, the revolution and-, and- Workers taking control of the means of production, and isn't that the solution in itself? Yes, and this is where it starts getting murky, and then you start hearing all these people talk about it. But uh, I think the general idea now is that this is a stage. And again, these are all concepts that I hate. I, I abhor words like feudalism and capitalism, but how he's just saying that there was feudalism and then after feudalism, capitalism came in. Then he's saying after that, socialism will come in and then eventually that will evolve into communism is really what he's saying. So, he's not really- he's kind of just saying it will inevitably happen or society will destroy itself. And dude, you know, even with the basic- the basic underpinning of what he's saying. And I'm talking really basic here. And again, I'm not an expert, but this is what I think the general principle of what he's saying. So, let's just try and strip away as many words as we can. Let's just use a real world example of what he's doing because this is how I was explaining it to Miss Love, actually. I was just saying, you know how you used to work at a restaurant and that restaurant was owned by a certain rich boy cunt that got his wealth inherited from his father, who was also a restaurateur who owns fucking a hundred restaurants, right? Now, that's a, well, first of all, that's a one-off example. Wouldn't you say there's plenty of restaurant owners who are just working class, maybe even mi- lower middle class people who are just scraping to get by? And, and this is who he would say are like just- the petty bourgeois, but he's okay. talking about- because the whole point is that it just capital just pulls in. Like the bigger you get, the bigger you get is more or less what's happening, right? So, uh, and I'll get to that actually yeah. in in a moment. But this guy hires someone like Mislov to make fish tacos, let's say, and he's made a fish taco, and it took him a minute of his time to assemble it after the cook had cooked it. Right. And okay, so let's just go through it. The raw materials for the fish taco. And this is rough, but it's actually probably fairly close to what it would be. $2 to make. 
$2 for the raw material to make the fish taco. Then the cook comes along and his labor to hire, because he's got a skill, he went to TAFE and he's worked it a lot and he's good at cooking. So, he's worth 50 cents for that minute of his time. His, his minute of time is worth 50 cents. Yeah. Miss Love, because he doesn't have any qualifications, but he's just there to assemble it after it's been cooked. His time of assembling it and then taking it to the customer, that's another minute. That's 30 cents. So, at the moment, you're probably at fucking $2.80. Let's be generous and say that it's at $3. Then there's the rent for the place. It probably is no rent because he owns it, but let's just say that he is renting it. In that minute, let's just say that it probably costs them, again, just for theoretical purpose, a dollar to stay open. And then utility cost fucking 20 cents. So, it might have cost $4.20 to get that taco using the labor and the material to the consumer, right? And then the consumer pays $15 for the taco. So, let's be generous and say that that taco cost $5 to make. This fuck who owns the restaurant is getting $10 for that taco for doing nothing. For doing nothing. You think he's doing nothing? Well, first of all, are these- have you worked in a restaurant? I mean, can you say these? How uh, confident are you in those figures? Well, I was just trying to work like it out that? with him, right? And he was just saying roughly okay. this would be what it is. Like, I was just like, let's just try and figure out how much your labor costs sure. to get to this. So, this is all rough. How, how, can we do it in a way that, that relates to us maybe? Because we actually both do own a small business, if you could call it like. But we, we're petty we bourgeois. Well, but still, that's, I don't think that's too different to someone who maybe owns a small restaurant. No, because the difference is, and this is where it starts getting into, and this is the big criticism of Marx, right? Okay. For our business to run, we still have to devote our labor to it. Once you have removed yourself from it and you aren't contributing any of your labor, that it can just run by itself, it's just a money machine at that point. And so, the employees and everything like that are basically just machines that keep it operating. Like, Miss Love, more or less, is a living, breathing machine that just costs maintenance like you would pay uh, Microsoft for Microsoft Word and then you have to pay that bullshit membership or whatever. That's how they would see Miss Love, is just this thing that has to- that you have to pay, like, you know, a monthly membership to obtain, Right. Okay. So, it's just like it's you're getting very removed. I agree with that. From yeah. the production. Yeah. So, the, it, the, like for that, for the, him and, to run. And, okay, sorry. And, and then the we'll also include the manager that was in there. Sure. So, let's okay. just say that the manager was worth a dollar. So, he's making nine dollars. Yeah. Well, why do so now, many restaurants fail then? Because they are not in the position that this guy is in. Because we'll get so to that later. Unique, all right. So, this we'll, is one unique position that Miss Love worked in a particular restaurant where the owner was child of the someone really rich. Is that? Well, well, like, okay. Now, with that $9 yeah. that he's got, and let's just say that he's getting that from fucking 100 restaurants at once. Now, again, this is why I hate these things because they're all theoretical. We don't know the numbers, whatever. This is for argument's sake. This guy's getting $900 a minute to sit around and snort coke with his friends, right? What the fuck does he do with that money? Like, this is all money that was acquired without any of his input. And yet, he gets all of the profit 
that goes to him because he owns that business. So, that is all his profit. There is no input at all from him. And he is just pooling $900 a minute, $900 a minute, $900 a minute, $900 a minute, $900 a minute. What do they, what does a capitalist do at that point? They buy more of these money machines. So, then he goes to a struggling business and says, yeah, well, this isn't really working out for you anyway. So, uh, we're just going to get that and then we'll get it. And then he will hire, I don't know, some demographer or something like that to just say, oh, okay, this is like an upper middle class area. So, they're going to be into fusion food and they're like, oh, okay, we'll change the menu for that. We'll just install these uh, chefs, good to go. He has another money machine that just runs by itself, essentially. That's mm. where it starts getting into that point of, at that point, he starts hiring more complicated people with that money to do all of the research and all that kind of stuff that makes his businesses more successful. But again, he is just moving further up for doing nothing. And really, what is his input from it? It was that he inherited this money and the idea, I suppose, from watching his dad for fucking 40 years, just be like, hey, if I buy more restaurants, I get more money. And if I was alive and continue to do that, I would just be buying these restaurants. And then he thinks, oh, okay, I'll just continue to do that for the rest of my life. Now, okay, with that wealth, all of that wealth that is created by all of those people doing those things- that aren't getting the wealth, he keeps pooling that money. The next stage is then he said, and this is exactly what happened. And I'm not using names for a specific reason. Oh, so this is a particular example. This is, this is actually a real life thing. <clears throat> this is a real okay. life thing. What yeah. does he do then? He gets so wealthy. He owns so many restaurants that he starts creating lobby groups okay. so that he can get more of what he wants, which is like during COVID, he got to open up when other like small struggling businesses didn't get to open up. And he gets all of these, when they're handing out all of those job keeper payments and stuff, he's first in queue and he gets, he's the pick of the litter of it. And he gets to just invent numbers about how many people are. So, he just starts not only not paying tax, but taking tax and then accumulates more capital. Sure. You know? in this particular example, it would be hard-pressed to find someone who disagrees that, one, that individual is quite an unscrupulous and just a gross person mm. who definitely doesn't deserve that wealth. Mm. However, is that a fair uh, summation of the entire economic system, that one particular example? Well, this is the other thing that freaked me out. This is why I was thinking about it because I just got off the phone from him and I was just like, yay, crazy kami, and then just went on with my- <laughs> But it's not- okay. Again, when I say so this, it's just him. like, look, I don't- When I read Karl Marx, when I yeah. read his excerpts, when I just- When, when like, you, you hear lecturers talk about it and all this kind of stuff, it's it's like- I don't agree, but he's not wrong. Let's just put it this way. There's truth to what he says, sure. It's not even that it's true. It's just like the fact that I don't agree is wrong. You know when they always say facts over feelings? It's a bit like you have this feeling in your head that it's unfair that the person who owns the business doesn't get to control the capital. And I, I do think I that because that. I just okay. also think, okay, and then there's all these words of like that entrepreneur took the risk and all that kind of stuff and you say those kinds of things. But his argument to that, and he's fucking right about this, is that we have grown up. 
in that system. So we think that that system's fair and the system becomes self-perpetuating. But it's not like, like if you grew up, a good example of this, uh, say in our system, in our society, we really value just the concept of freedom, Hmm. right? Hmm. In Islamic society, they don't. They value the, the the concept of justice. Of course, yeah, we're, we're we're biased to the conditions that we were brought up in, particularly if we had a decent life in those conditions. Yes. So we can't think fully, entirely rationally about something like an econo- a complex economic system when we've been brought up within that system. However, that is bordering on what could be described as you know a postmodern type of argument, where then there's no actual objective truth. It's just whatever you were brought up in is what you'll automatically have a fondness for. And this is my struggle <laughs> yeah. with Marx's theory is how much of that is just primate, no, I killed the monkey so I get to keep, I get to eat the brain. Mm-hmm. And how much isn't like, uh, but this is the thing, right? Like this is the thing. I think that what he is what he is saying is that money is, is this is endemic of the system that money is inevitably going to go to that restaurant tour. Now, you and I and this is because of the society that we grew up in and in our time, we would say, "Oh, okay, so you need to put checks and balances on it because I think that everybody thinks, yeah, okay, that rich cunt can be a rich cunt. That's fine. But at some point, you're taking the piss." You know, at some point, if you're making $9 for a taco that you didn't assemble, that you probably didn't even create the supply chain, that was probably existing when your parents gave it to you after their death. Hmm. Why are you getting that $9? Surely you should be giving $2 back to just benefit the greater society because you wouldn't be able to make that taco if the society wasn't running. So you owe the society some money. Yeah. Is that your understanding of like, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. In that theoretical world, is that what you would deem to be fair? He gets to keep the majority of his profit, but he has to give some back to society. Or do you think he should keep all of it? That's a complicated question. I don't, (laughs) uh, well, first of all, I I have no idea because- Emotionally, I think about something like that and and think that's extraordinarily unfair and he should definitely have to give some of that back to society. However, I don't know what the alternative is and and whether we just see the grass as greener because what are the problems that then arise if, say, the government regulates that the owners of the capital have to give X amount of money back to Society. Now, in theory, the progressive tax system already does that. But, yeah, of course, there are loopholes in these people who become so powerful and rich that they can lobby themselves around that. Yes. What's this sort of... That's why I've always been a strong proponent of cultural change and fostering a culture wherein that restaurateur has the freedom to keep all of that profit but has been brought up in a culture that compels him to invest that back either into his workforce or for the greater good or for society or for something beyond himself. Mm. Now, mm. the other alternative is that that uh, redistribution of profit is regulated. And that's one where I have a much more unease and reticence to accept because I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not confident that, the potential problems that arise from 
regulating that redistribution of profit will actually outweigh the issue of this one restaurateur and many of those in the Western world who have a very unfair amount of capital. Well, see, this is as it stands because this is the system that happens, right? Like essentially because they have so much money, they just – this is the scary point. Hmm. This is where it really freaked me out because then I was talking to somebody because I'm doing a video on pesticide regulation, but he was talking to an executive of a huge petro giant. And he was talking to him about Glasgow and saying, is your company now feeling the heat, so to say, because in Glasgow they people criticize it and say not enough was done. But like with all of these uh, climate summits, much more gets done than what you would take, what, you know, people want to give them credit for. But- now it's kind of gotten limited to 1.8 degrees of warming. If everybody does the cuts that they're doing and it looks like most countries are sort of on that trajectory, 1.8 degrees of warming needs to get to 1.5, less than 1.5. But you give it a few more cycles of this, it probably will reach that number. Now, he said, are you feeling the heat because of Glasgow? Because this guy is an executive petro company. And he said, what heat? And then he said, well, because you're starting to get regulated now. Um, and they said, yeah, and I swear to God, this is what he said, the Petro exec said. Yeah, because we allowed the governments to do that. Because for the last 30 years, we have been moving our investments, because we're not stupid, obviously. They're very, very smart people. And because, again, they have so much capital. They have a lot of scientists, engineers, everybody you could possibly imagine. They've got all of these brains working for them. And they realized in the 90s or the 70s or whatever, the world is warming and it's because of fossil fuels. But we want to have a monopoly on the next yeah. form of energy, so, what we're going to do is completely disable world governments for the next 30 years to create a huge disinformation public campaign, which is what you're always complaining about with climate change, that it's just become a cultural thing. That didn't accidentally happen. There was a lot of very smart people making climate change not a scientific issue, a cultural issue. Paid to do that, right? On top of that, we're going to completely disable governments. We're going to get shitty governments elected that just do whatever we want done. And why? Because they have so much private capital. And to continue getting more private capital in the future, they were willing to risk the entire planet, every living organism on it. And then as soon as they felt comfortable that they have a monopoly on the next generation of energy, they thought, okay, flick the switch. You can save the world now. That's fucking terrifying. That's that is the level of capital sure. that we're talking about. We're talking about a handful of companies that are more powerful than every regulatory body on earth combined. All working towards the same thing. All these governments behind closed doors are like, fuck, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. But they're all fucking stymied. They can't do anything. Because they have so much capital that they're just like, okay, we'll just hire all the geniuses and we'll figure out how to disable the world from doing anything. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. This is the level of capital that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's boundless, isn't it? So, what 
then would you suggest that what's the pres- prescription? How do we this is solve something thing. like this, that? I I don't fucking know because this is like okay because every time because the, the, that's not a right wing talking point. Every time it has been tried, at least from what I my understanding of history in the twentieth century, it definitely hasn't turned out well. Well. There's a lot of propaganda surrounding that again I, I'm, because I'm we're sure there is. Yeah, yeah. But I, I will say this one point. It's not like it didn't happen through... Uh, let's put it this way. First off, again, like I just need to say this, what Marx is saying can't be implemented. He's just saying that system doesn't work. One thing that, that's one way of looking at it that that system failed. Another way of looking at it is this system that allowed a lot of wealth to be pulled in it thought we're going to disable that system, just like how they disabled world governments so that they could get the next generation of energy. They thought, okay, this is scaring us because this system isn't allowing us to accumulate capital at the level that we wanted to, to do it. So, again, what do we do? We create a huge scare campaign about communism. Remember before, like during World War II. Okay, so then do you, if there were no entities from the West that intervened in some of the countries that were employing some of those Marxist ideas. Now, of course, like we say, like you say, that you can't fully implement his ideas. It was primarily a criticism. But if they were left to uh, evolve as they otherwise would, Without Western interference, what do you think they would look like? I wonder. Today? I wonder. Okay. This is the whole thing. It's just like when people say it was never fully implemented, there's a lot of things that are first off, because, you know, you look in the comments now, there will be a bunch of people that think they know Marx very well. I'm just butting out of that conversation entirely and saying, I don't understand Marx that well. But there's a bunch of people that do think they understand Marx very well. So do you think the people that were sitting in Russia, who spent their entire lives invested in this thing, it would have just been like the church, how everybody has all their different definitions of what the Bible is. That's what would have been happening in Russia, certainly, right? So, it's just like a thing of nobody ever really implemented this theoretical theory because it's a theoretical theory. Um, Something as simple as the fact that I can't remember the exact numbers, but even in Cuba, when they say that that's a very communist society, I think that they did a survey on it a few years back. One of the most quote-unquote communist countries on earth, still 10% of the country is private enterprise. Even though they try and stamp out private enterprise as much as they can, it still exists. So, it's never a pure form, so who knows? But I will say that you look at countries when they say it didn't work, well, look at China. It's worth more money than the US now. And then they say, yeah, that's because they allowed capitalism. True, but they allow capitalism that is guided by the state and that you can criticize them all you want. That's why they're rich now because there's something over the top just being like, whereas in the US, for instance, you just have a bunch of interests sitting there completely disabling the government. There you have a government saying, no, you're going to invest in these things. And that's where the world moves. I mean, sorry, that's where China moves, for instance. It's the same thing in Vietnam. People always say, oh, Vietnam's such a poor country. Well, you would be too if you faced 30 years of total war and had more bombs dropped on you than all of World War II combined. <laughs> you would be a very poor country. But right. the growth that they have seen 
since they've stopped being bombed. Remember, they've had trade tariffs on them as well the whole time. So, it's not like these things have just- they don't work. It's There's very deliberate constraints on them to try and make them not work. And in spite of that, people go to Vietnam now that went there 20 years ago and say the country is unrecognisable. It's still poor, hmm. but it's unrecognisable. And I think it is just because of this main point, which is that if you just allow capital to just keep accumulating, that entity becomes the government. Another good example of this, I suppose, is with consultants. When you go to universities now, there's all of these programs set up to just fast track you to becoming a consultant. What is a consultant? A consultant is essentially a private bureaucrat. You go and talk to a consultant this is the difference when people always say, oh, bureaucrats paid do nothing shit on their ass and stuff. You go to a bureaucrat and you say, what's your job? They'll say, my job is to make sure that water is flowing through the pipes to people's houses. Yeah. They'll be able to tell you what their job is. I challenge you to find a consultant that can explain their job in a sentence. They can't. No, they because definitely can't. They definitely fucking can't. That's true. But they're private bureaucrats. That's essentially what they are. They're, because these companies, as we pointed out before, are so big mm. that they're- mm more wealthy than most nations on the planet. And so they need a bureaucracy there to justify their stupid ideas of, oh, we're going to change the BP colours to purple. And so then they hire bureaucrats to sit there and come up with a bullshit report that no one reads to say, yeah, it'd be a good move. And then they put that to the board and then the board just goes, yeah, okay. And that's yeah. where the money is going now, you know, because they just have ridiculous amounts of money. So there's just this strange abstract world getting created where that money, if it was properly regulated, could have been put into making an actual bureaucrat that improves society. Yeah, sure. When you move up to the higher echelons of the corporate world, it doesn't look like they're sort of uh, bound by the pressures of the, <laughs> the uh, private market as they profess to be. It certainly doesn't seem that way. No. Particularly when you move into those sorts of consultancy jobs. And it does seem to be that they're, Feeding off the, some would say, uh, borderline slave labor in some of these other poorer countries. And they're just extracting whatever they can from them so that they can have a very cushy lifestyle within the Western headquarters, wherever they are. Yeah. And ha pay someone whatever it may be, 150 grand a year to, yeah, change the colors of their fucking logo or whatever. Yes. And where did that money come from? It came from moving the manufacturing to a third world country yep. where you can charge people a dollar a day. Definitely, yeah. And you've got 150,000 of them working, each making like, let's just say it's like a fashion label, $3,000 worth of material each. That's all going. You've got to put the money somewhere. It goes into those bullshit jobs like consulting and things. This is what this accumulation of wealth does. Yes, and it ends up with- When it's not controlled or moved to productive sure. things. CEO salaries that are exorbitant to say the least. Yes, and they get those massive bonuses by going to their shareholders and saying profits went up this much this year. And usually what they do in this system is figure out ways to pay less tax. And yeah. that's the easiest way to make more money. Yeah, when you're dealing with capital with that expansive, it's so easy to just bullshit anything to make everything sound good. Isn't it? I'm Isn't assuming. It? I've never been in, in that position, but it seems that way. Whereas when you work in, uh, when you go back to say the restaurant example, that's definitely a very uh, flagitious example of someone who is uh, 
just does not seem like a virtuous person. But I'm sure there are also plenty of restaurateurs who are paying their staff adequately and, and not extracting an exorbitant amount of profit from the business and investing back into the business and mm. acting in a way that would be deemed appropriate. Mm. Yes. And I think that that is something to aim for in life, but it's not what the system rewards. And I think that the same thing happens when that, if that restaurateur becomes successful, at some point he will become so removed from it that everything just becomes a balance sheet. And then he'll think, oh, yeah, we can save money by just cutting that back to minimum wage. We can save money by avoiding that tax. You know, it, it everything just becomes this little accounting sheet. And I think at that point, you just get too removed from the process. Hmm. And your entire aim is to accumulate capital so that you can get more things, so you can accumulate more capital. And that's what Marx is saying is systemically rewarded in our society. So, it's you can have a cultural change and a cultural change would definitely help, but eventually that culture will shift back into the culture that we have now. And the culture that we have now, as we've been discussing before, the classic example, how many hot chicks on Instagram have entrepreneur? Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Right. It means that entrepreneur is something that is extremely valued by our society. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. Like I was saying with the Byzantines, what was extremely valued by their society was priests and soldiers. And then you go look at their marketplace and the marketplace, there would be government officials that would come out every day and write on their version of a chalkboard, bread is this much, fish is this much. Mm. So, you didn't encourage this system of people just coming up with subjective value and saying, oh, no, there was like a, there was a drought. So, that's why bread costs this much now. They were just saying, no. You want to trade in this marketplace, you change this much, otherwise we cut your hand off. And the aristocracy believed in that. This is your point, right? They believed in it. It kept the society going. And th there was basically just this concept in Byzantine society that there was a greater good. And if you were an aristocrat, it's not like- as Marxists would say, the, the the their version of the proletariat, like peasants and stuff, weren't getting exploited by the aristocracy. But the aristocracy, this is my point and this is, I think, your point. You have to foster a culture at least. I will accept this, that there is always going to be an oligarchy in society. There is always going to be, as Jordan Peterson would say, that hierarchy where there's people at the top and there's nothing you can do about it. But I think the one thing you can do is foster a culture of, but you at least owe something to the society, as you're saying. Whereas in our society, I really think there has been a very concerted effort on every level to try and train people that you owe society nothing. Society owes you everything. And you should just extract as much as you possibly can without giving anything back. That is a recipe for fucking disaster. I agree with you, you there. You at least have to have a social contract saying, no, like, you're using roads. You have to fucking pay for the roads, you know? Yeah, but does anyone really- Even the people who put entrepreneur in their bio, are they, would they disagree with that? Well, they maybe in theory would say, yeah, I give back. 
But do they? But do they? That's the whole thing. That's and a good point. That's the whole well, like, thing. I mean, we're at a certain level where <coughs> who knows how much we actually, we may feel like we give back, but is it ever really enough? I mean, really, you can get to the religious point there where unless you're just living with absolutely nothing, there's always more you could give back. Mm. Which I think is the point that Marx gets to, though, which is, okay, there will be people like that. That's true. They won't be rewarded by the system. Someone who is just accumulating capital for the sake of accumulating capital will eventually win. And that just moves more people into that field of, oh, that's success. I want to move into that field. Sure. Like, think about you, how okay. much- Go on, go Do on. you think you're- What's the- I've, I've completely mind, mind blanked on the psychological phenomenon where you just see- People seek out evidence that affirms what they're already thinking. So, in the same way- your classic right winger or the libertarian on YouTube is always looking at the places where a state that employed Marxist ideals failed. Do you think you're trying to, you're just, you're having a bias here towards situations where it's very clear that the economic system is not working? But I think it's just the evidence is there. When you, let me give you a really good example. Mm. You look at the classic person with a lisp. That the bread tuber, and you look at what they're. I agree, they're fucking annoying people and they're shitty. Mm. But you look at what their text is that they're basing their beliefs off. It's Karl Marx. You look at what the libertarian with this lith is basing their beliefs off. It's a fictitious. It's a fictitious book. It's Fountainhead. It's Atlas Shrugged. It's some woman that lived in the Soviet Union that was pissed off and hated it and then came to America, which, again, obviously had a big self-interest in propagating her work and going, yeah, yeah, she she was in the Soviet Union. She hates communism. And so they were just pushing that idea. But it's based off of her life experiences and then her imagination. Karl Marx is, is a really rigorous academic. We have the notes that he has. I've, taught, I've heard other academics say, I have never seen an academic in my lifetime or since take such scrupulous notes as this. He has everything of like, I got this idea from here. Here's why I disagree with that idea. Here's why I agree with that idea. Actually, I've evolved my thinking. This is not the case. Like he has basically diary entries of getting there. He was a genius. He was a genius. There's no denying that. So, I think it's just a thing of like, you look at the world now and you look at- the fact that, as I was saying before, essentially executives on a board somewhere in New York decided that the world can keep going. It had n- 7 billion people on this planet had no say in that whatsoever. None. It was a, f- of a few boards looking at a number and then they went, okay, that number's low enough. Okay, switch the lights. There's some merit to his theory. I think it's just an inevitable thing. And when I think he's right about this, even though I'm constantly, I suppose he would say, you know, I'm a sellout and that I'm just pushing for the wrong thing. And that's, and I think he's kind of right to this, some degree. Um, but I think he is kind of right about it that, you know, you push for those checks and balances on that. You push for, say, for instance, someone like Denmark, who just ruled that Shell has to pay back Uh, Sorry, has to get to like 45% net zero emissions by, I can't remember, 2030 or something like that. 
And that's an example, I suppose, of, you know, a social democracy where there's a bunch of checks and balances on things. And so, they got that result. But Marx is saying, you wait. You give that society, you know, 100 years, something will eventually shift and it'll move back to something closer to, say, America. So, is his prescription that the only way forward that is a... That is free of potentially reverting back to a capitalist oligarchy is essentially communism. You can't really social democracy. It's just a, it's a temporary state. He's saying it's a band aid. Yeah, and he's saying that. But he is. I think that this is the general gist. And again, this is firstly uni stuff. I think he's saying that. Ideally, what will happen is it goes to a social democracy and then moves towards communism from there instead of just like after. Because he's kind of just saying, I don't know, primitive society existed for, what, 10,000 years. Then the era of kings and queens lasted 2,000 years. Then capitalism has lasted a couple of hundred years. Then you've already had people fighting back against it, entire nations fighting back against Mm. it. That struggle is going to be not in our generation, not in the generation after, but at some point either the world ends because, as he's kind of saying, everything gets commodified. And then the other day I was just looking at pictures and one came up of this entrepreneur that was selling cans of Australian air to China. And I was just like, well, like- I mean, you're saying before, am I just looking for evidence? You're commodifying air. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <coughs> All the examples you brought up, I completely, I completely agree with you. I just am very tippy to, to say that a, re- a revolution is the right course of action. But this I is the whole thing. I don't think that he was really thinking about a revolution. I think that that was more, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that was more Lenin. That was thinking revolution. Okay. And I could be wrong about yeah. this. I think he was thinking of an evolution. That eventually, if you educate enough people that that's the problem, at some point, mass opinion will just go, nah, and kind of just walk away from it. But it'll be a gradual evolution. So, how would it, in theory, work, say, with a, fa- a factory? Because this is this was sort of- in the 19th century when factory owners were paying 10-year-old boys a pittance to work 14 hours a day or whatever it may have been. So if all the workers have an equal share in the capital itself, how is that efficient for decisions to be made? How does it actually look? Is there a direct democracy for every decision of a given business? And when we get to large entities like corporations and like big these petro giants does every person who works on an oil rig have some say in the direction of the company what what how does it what does it look like it's getting closer to that it's like in germany i didn't know this but since the 70s they've had a law that if you are a company of over 2000 people half of the board members have to be elected by the workers Now, that's not even communism, but that's getting closer to it, you know? That's getting closer to this idea that- Okay, I don't think most people would disagree with that. Exactly. That that seems very reasonable. Doesn't it? But that still is quite different to every worker having a say and and owning the means of production. Yes, and he is saying that that's the only way 
And again, I would have to read Das Kapital entirely, uh, even to form an opinion. And then I think you would have to spend the rest of your life reading it over and over again and probably still be incorrect because you're just not as smart as that man. But he's saying that that is a step on the way to getting out of that system. That's what he would say. Okay. So we're kind of, but as it as it fucking uh, like you just look at everything and man, every every video I've ever done, when I go to the core of it, it's not about beliefs. It's not about having a difference of opinion. It's about someone doing something that is fucked because they can get money out of it. That's every problem, <laughs> every societal problem I've ever come across. You follow the money and it's some prick that just doesn't give a fuck that they've permanently destroyed this, you know, unique pristine environment because they got a few thousand dollars out of it. Hmm. And that freaks me out because, okay, I think that that's, a, I think that your prescription is probably the best one. But Marx would say, that's true. It's not enough. And the guy spent 40 years of his life obsessively. He was one of those geniuses that was so smart that he was one of those people that didn't care that he smelt bad and dressed around like a bum. And, you know, like he was one of those people, constantly scraggly hair. Subjective, whether that's a marker of a genius or a <laughs> madman, but it gets close all, to that. Yeah, they're far and few in between, aren't they? Far um, and few in between. But I think it just, if you follow his, I just look at the very least, the man has things to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Of course. Of course. To take a very cynical criticism of something like that you you look at some of western europe that has adopted i suppose a, a more of a social democracy or democratic socialist method which again i know we don't like these uh, theories that you have to use, them, to use yeah, them for yeah. a conversation like yeah. this compared to the united states of america that particularly from the 80s onwards took a step rightward if you will and moved towards a, a more neoliberal approach and then you look at western europe today and america and the the share of global gdp of western europe has shrunk whereas america has definitely well at least in theory it could could be the propaganda it could be just i'm falling for that but it it still remains the top dog if you will so is there something to be said about when you improve the material conditions uh, too significantly for the everyman, there's there's no compulsion there to to work harder and to be entrepreneurial and 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 I, and I don't use that term in the way girls on Instagram would use it. I mean, being creative and and what do they call creative destruction? That's a term mm. that uh, capitalists always like to use. I definitely I, I agree with a lot of these uh, observations, and I I think there are huge gigantic flaws in the current economic system, but. Like I keep coming back to, I, I just, I'm still not confident enough in whatever the alternative may be and how that may fare for everyone Neither and for the I. world. But I also have, 
I see a lot of uh, promise in something like the concept of creative destruction. I ha- we show we're the perfect examples of this. Not to talk ourselves up too much here, but in our little microcosm, our little industry, in our little country here, we've done just that. We've created a much better product for a in a, in a, in in many ways a cheaper way, if you want to call it cheap, in a much more efficient way. And we've forced everyone else to then compete in that model. And if there was no means to be able to do that, if there was no freedom to be able to employ that sort of creative destruction, things would just it'd be entropy, right? That, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things would just stay stagnant. I know. This is the- Nothing would evolve. And- You know, uh, changes. You need some of those evolutionary pressures, if you will. You need that incentive- See, this is the whole thing. This is why I always get back to the same point because I think that this is where everybody intuitively understands society will be, which is you need to give incentives. Now, a good example, I suppose, is Jeff Bezos, okay, he was innovative in that he came up with the one-click buy now button, but that one-click buy now button has resulted in him accumulating $150 billion off of people that aren't even paid minimum wage. Like they qualify for welfare checks. So really, how much of his labor was put into the one-click button? How ingenious was it? Especially when he was, okay, I'll give you this. He probably earned the $150 billion if he invented the computer and he invented every component in it, but he was really just stepping on giant shoulders. He came up with a little innovation mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, maybe you should be a billionaire for that uh, innovation, but $150 billion, like you're taking the piss. Can I jump in there? When we talk about levels of wealth to that degree, you know, that's the sort of estimation of a corporation like Amazon, right? It's not as though this guy has liquidity of $150 billion sitting in a bank that he can just divvy out to all of the workers in Amazon. Mm. The share, the, the percentage of shares that he maybe owns in the company mm. are worth that mm. based on a sort of almost an arbitrary valuation there. So would you, would you be in favor of a system where every worker gets some percentage of ownership where they, you, you know, rather than just a salary, you also get a few shares each year in the corporation that you maybe work for? I mean, look, I'm not even talking about that. I'm I'm going one step further back than that. I think Amazon can pay their workers minimum wage. I think that they could cover that cost. And you're right. It's probably if they had a few shares in it, they could probably have some say in it. Well, let's okay. So, why do they pay them at such a low rate, right? So they've clearly got an incentive to do that because then, for the consumer, they pay a lower price. They can get that product to your door in a, in a day or two, whatever it may be. And I'm sure they've had that you know a, a multitude of behavioural economists finding out the exact rate at which the worker is most productive, and it's also the the most cost effective for the business itself. So I'm sure they've found that that perfect level there now okay so you someone comes in and says all right you've got to pay your workers x amount of money right 
do they then have to fire a lot of people? Do, do does another competitor come in and and they're able to pay their workers less because they're not as big a corporation and therefore they does the cycle perpetuate then? I mean, what? yeah, that's what Marx would say. He was saying, okay, if Amazon did start paying their workers fairly, there would be another shark company that didn't, and they get the competitive edge. Because then they would be able to accumulate more capital and then they would be able to hire more brains to figure out how to get more market share. So, he's kind of right in that, yes, this Western European society isn't as competitive as this, but the whole thing is everybody here has a better life than they do here, undeniably. Undeniably. But also, China, for instance, more money than the US because they kind of are- using the US, but they have someone controlling that beast, mm, mm. you know? Well, there's a- there's a there's And the other thing as well, you've got to balance. remember this, this, this country here basically controls the planet. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to have a little bit of a competitive edge over Western Europe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. It, look, these are all theories and, and who the hell knows what the optimal way of- conducting a society is yeah but i just am very wary of people who and i'm not saying this is you but i'm if anything i'm the most what i'm the most skeptical and wary of is people who say i know exactly what needs to be done and this is it no this is a very complex thing yeah yeah in theory what we actually have here is as is well hundreds of countries they can try different things and we can actually see what works and then the other countries can adopt that. And it's almost like a, it's like Darwinian economics on a global scale. But you don't. Theory, no, because, yeah, now there are co- corporations that are so big that, yeah, you have that system of global capitalism, which is kind of what it's moving towards. So maybe if you have a completely different world on Mars one day, then they can compete with each other. But, but th- that's the whole thing. They eventually, Mars would just become Earth. So everything consolidates essentially. Is that what you're? Capital just keeps pulling into capital. But then, what about say? Hasn't there been such a turnaround in the largest corporations in the in the world over the past couple of decades? All the tech giants came out of nowhere. And mm. Previously, it was McDonald's and Coca Cola, and I don't know what it actually was, but mm. certainly the, the the largest corporations in the, in the eighties. I'm sure they're still very big corporations, but new ones have come about and there's still been some evolution and change. But sure, the disparity in- But isn't that a sad world? It's just the money and who gets to decide what is done with that money has changed from one massive company to another massive company. Not the people. people, Think about how removed capital is getting. It was kingdoms- Countries don't exist. Like they're not- inhibited by countries anymore countries just don't exist anymore they're just this theoretical entity that's what companies have become now they don't even play by the rules within that country anymore they're They're way beyond that way too big right so they're almost like the new kingdoms aren't they because historically it wasn't exactly like the people that isn't bound by boundaries except for i suppose planet earth but that's their boundary now planet earth is their boundary yep Yep, they only have other co- and companies. And when you get to, to, like, Elon Musk's level, not even fucking planet Earth. Like, he's going to fucking well, Mars now. Sure, sure. That's, that's very true. You know? Like, it's... But if, what is this utopia where all the every person, every all 7 billion people have an equal say on exactly how the planet 
But this is the this That's is not going to happen. Marx isn't. He's kind of saying that is utopia, but he's not saying how to get there really. Yeah, I don't, he's kind of just saying like vaguely. I don't know. It'll probably look like this. I'm more interested in critiquing this. It's it's in this situation. It's capital that's pooling, and that's uh, analogous to power here. But uh, I mean, isn't that just a a fact of human nature that uh, power often consolidates itself? So once you have power, you then have means to obtain more power very effectively. Mm. And so now it's corporations that are employing this principle, right? The Pareto principle or whatever it is that previously was kingdoms and, you know, whatever it may be. It's, it's, is, it, is it credulous to assume that we can have this sort of egalitarian utopia where everyone can have this equal say or we create this new system that in theory is far more egalitarian but power would consolidate in some other way, just not in, a, in, in the form of corporations. It would consolidate either in political power or brute strength or force or whatever it may be bureaucratic power is there always going to just be is, is it just an inevitable fact of human nature and human organization that power just begets more power yes but that power has as marx pointed out taken on different forms over the history definitely and this one is a particularly brutal one because as he was saying, and though he didn't live to this long, but Marxists afterwards would be saying things like World War One and World War Two were truly capitalist wars. Before that, you had feudal wars where they'd be fighting for territory amongst themselves, I suppose. But then you had this truly global war where all of these global empires that were created through accumulating capital were like, send your men here. We're just going to fucking fight them all out along these borders. So, they got the entire world involved in this war where you saw 200 million people die or 100 million or whatever it was. And that was because that system had created, it's, I'll give you this, it's a ruthlessly efficient system. But what's the end result? That kind of shit. And even things like, say, nuclear arms deterrence is only possible, I suppose, because so much accumulative capital is there. So now you're just at this point where you have a few fucking people with their fingers on a button just being like, I'll press it. I'll fucking press it. That can't be sustainable. You, you, you're putting the entire world's safety into the hands of of a few people's neurons and hoping they keep their cool. And that's the result of this. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, like people always say this is the longest period of prosperity. Well, you would hope so when those are the consequences. But can it be like that forever? I would probably argue no. There probably will come a time where there will be somebody who's just had a bad day and they're a bit wired to begin with, but they've got their finger on the button. You know, these things mm. accumulated because... Well, didn't the Soviets also... Have, they, they had a lot of nukes. Yeah. Yeah. So, they, they forced but here's the other thing as well. I think that if you go back and look at history, it was usually the Americans who were actually the ones being like, I'm going to press it. And most of the time it was the Soviets saying, let's just talk this out. Let's be reasonable about this. Mm -hmm. But you go and listen to, say, 
Nixon, and he'll just be like, I'm sick of those goddamn rice commies down in uh, Vietnam are giving me bad headlines. Should we drop the big one on Charlie? And then there would be a pause. This is in the Nixon tapes. And it was, um, what's his name? Kissinger just in the room and there'd be a pause. And then you go, does that disturb you? And then Kissinger would be like, mm, doesn't disturb me. I just don't think that it's time for that. But they're still having that conversation of dropping nukes on Vietnam, which is terrifying. Uh-huh. You know, like, let's destroy an entire country because I have bad headlines. It's at that level. Let's keep the planet going now because we have our profits guaranteed for the next generation. So, we want to be around to suck up those profits. But in the meantime, we'll do untold damage because the thing is, Dangerous climate change is happening now. If you started this process when people started getting serious about it in the 90s, we wouldn't be in the same situation we're in now. Now, when people always say there's still time, there's still time to avoid very, very catastrophic climate change. But it's happening now. And it is happening now because they wanted the market for the next generation. That's the damage that we're talking about because of that system occurring. So, it freaks me out a bit. That's all I'm saying. It's just like, if you look at the world through his eyes, it's hard not, it's hard to unsee what he sees. I mm. think, anyway. Mm. And then, like, you, just, you're, just, you're just, always saying, like, I want to talk about solutions with it. It's it, This is why you see all of these Marxists that just get really despondent and they all say oh all politicians are the same and things to me personally as i said at the beginning of this i have more respect for someone like bill shorten than i do karl marx even though i obviously truly revere the intellect of this man but still to be in that system to stand up and fight that's true courage to me you know the people that just get up and say nah i've got a better vision i'm going to try and implement that Despite this, I think that those are a lot better than those people that sit there online and whinge about, mm, you know, it's all fruitless, even though that's all I've been doing for the last hour. <laughs> okay, can I ask you a hypothetical question? When was Marx around? It was sort of the mid-1800s, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Let's say hypothetically the the European powers and the, the Western powers all adopted some semblance of his ideas and- took on less of a liberal approach and more of a whether it was socialist immediately or sort of a transition towards a social democracy. And then over the course of the next couple of decades, they moved more leftward, if you want to call it that. Uh, And that continued throughout the 20th century. What would the world look like today compared to what it does now? I'll tell you what, it probably doesn't look like what it looks like now. Well, sorry, sorry. That's That's a stupid way of putting it. That's a very dumb way of putting it. But I'll tell you this, I, well, you can see it. You can see what the world would look like. It would look more like Denmark. Would it? Wouldn't, having a lot of these Western European countries now, these social democratic 
utopias or close to utopias, they've benefited a lot from the uh, technological advancements of the more capitalist countries like your, well, USA, for example. Like how? What's so your basic McDonald's ba- and things. No, no, no. Well, sure, McDonald's. It's not just that it's McDonald's, but it's the processes that were employed by McDonald's that then spread throughout the other corporations and companies and just basic consumer goods for life for the average middle-class person has improved drastically with just things like, I don't know, fridges and microwaves and air conditioning and all these consumer goods that how do we know if they would have come about in a different system? Well, that's true, but... To that, I would say when people always say you've got to create innovation, yeah, but there's very few people that have invented something without. Most inventors are kind of just combining existing technology. So, this is a very good example. In Japan, the guy that created Nintendo, he wasn't smart enough to be one of the cutting edge engineers and the cutting edge engineers were always making all of these new products, but they were hired by either companies or the government. Um, But he ended up being the richest because he was just looking at all the inventions that were discarded on the floor and thought, I can combine these two. And so he came up with the Game Boy. A lot of money is created by that. And so I suppose that's an innovation in a way, but it was built off of other things that really most of it would come from pooling money together for a greater good. It's the same thing with most of the inventions when they say they're American inventions and they're made by these entrepreneurs. When you look at the components that were put into it, most of it was built by the defense defense Hmm. industrial complex, which is completely funded by the government. So, I think that's the... it's it's difficult to say that this was created by innovation. It's well, like, well, that guy had that idea to combine mm. those two things together, sure, but he didn't have the idea to come up with the internet or something, you know? Is it that there's a far more sort of ambivalent uh, consequence of competition in that, say, when we talk about the, the, the uh, military-industrial complex actually being responsible for many of the inventions that we now take for granted... Were they only forced to be so innovative because they had the competitive pressures of other dominant nations jostling for power? Yes, absolutely. So there's always competition will always foster innovation. It's not necessarily economic competition. It's not necessarily capitalist competition, but just competition. Yes. Competition among individuals, competition among states, competition among communities. This is where that creative disruption comes from. And then would you be saying that the capitalist wrongfully prescribes that sort of competition uniquely to that given economic system and not just to the inherent competition that's, well, inevitably ubiquitous anywhere humans are. There's always going to be some form of conflict. But then would you say that system is able to harness that competition in a somewhat into somewhat productive outlets as opposed to... No, I think if you just left that system to itself, which is exactly what happens in Australia, you have a government that allows that system to happen more, all the scientists move into the Pantene Pro-V Institute as opposed to 
aquaculture mm. as opposed mm. to agricultural science. They start like the, the brains go to where the money is and the money yeah. is in mostly frivolous bullshit. Mm. Mm. Initially, anyway, because you need to come up with the things that aren't initially profitable and then someone comes along and goes, I can make this profitable. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Do you think that do you think that the competitive pressures for making that frivolous bullshit more efficient can have an unintended consequence of just of just creating newer technology on a mass scale that inevitably benefits everyone? I'm sure it's happened in the past, but I would say the general rule would be absolutely not. Okay. I would say that most of the really big breakthroughs in some way like would have been war, government funded. Huh? And usually from war. And usually from war. Hmm. Yes. But I suppose actually, okay, so you know what you're actually, I think you might have come close. I think you might have come close to the solution. <laughs> I actually do think that that's probably, <laughs> it's got to be something there. Well, there has to be you. something to it. It's just like you, you harness competition, but you make the reward. You socialize not the reward capital. or something. Right. If you could make a competitive society, but you don't make the end result being congratulations, you have all this money. But see, this is the thing. Why would you be competitive in the first place? Because what do you want with the money? You want resources. That's what you want with it. Yes, but every- You want to have a private jet. Yeah, and I disagree with uh, uh, the idea that this particular system instills that compulsion within the individual. I think that's part of human nature. I think we're all out to get – I think we all have an empathetic and compassionate side and we actually are quite communal, but at the same time, there's always going to be a jostle for status and for power and for resources. And Yes, but we when can- you go back to the chimp example, mm-hmm. the ones that were rewarded in chimpanzee society were very different to the people who were rewarded in the corporate world now. Yeah. In the corporate world, you really are rewarded for being a sociopath. In yeah. – chimpanzee society you were rewarded really for having empathy intelligence as well but also the empathy to think okay i need to look after the rest of the tribe and then the tribe will look after it's a basic social contract that goes back to primates it really is it's just like if i look after the society the society will look after me because in a in a tribe of 150, you're not as removed as you are even if you're a consultant you're so removed from the people who work in the sweatshop and hell who are we did? I don't, I, you know, I'm sure we buy all sorts of things f- at a cheap price because it was made at that ridiculous uh, input cost in a very poor country. Mm. I mean, it's very difficult to be that pure. But, yeah, it really it, it, it does come down to harnessing the positive consequences of competitive pressures and somehow mitigating the negative consequences, mitigating against those consequences. That's, that's the trillion-dollar question, isn't it? See, this is the whole thing. It's just it's the, it's the fucking trillion-dollar question. It is. It's just this is, this is, I guess, what Marx is saying. He's saying that now that we are out of that society, you need to have a way of creating a system that mimics that. And he's, 
I guess saying the fairest thing to us is to look at the chimps and think that does seem fair. That does seem fair that, okay, okay there's an alpha example. male and the alpha male, you know, uh, leads the tribe, but he has a lot of duties and responsibilities to leading the tribe. That seems very fair. But you mimic that society, you mimic that in our world, and that guy will get eaten alive. By a basically somebody who has channeled their urge to murder people and thought that's not a very efficient thing to do because I could go to jail for that. I want to make it a lot. Okay, I'll just move into the corporate world. It's that sick mindset that is now rewarded in our society. It really is. Like you go and you look at, as we've said before, uh, the upper echelons of politics, the upper echelons of any area that has power, the corporate world, there is a disproportionate amount of sociopaths in it. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So, obviously, a system that rewards psychos that if they weren't channeling all of their life into getting those results for the corporation, they would probably be a backpacker murderer is probably a pretty sick system. <laughs> I mean, then again, if they're not murdering people, if, if that's what you say, if, yeah. if it's their nature to... But they are murdering people. Yeah, indirectly. Okay, say indirectly, the insurance industry in the US, for instance, sure, sure. by them deliberately stopping the government from instilling a healthcare, a public healthcare system like we have... That's killing what? I can't remember the stats. 60,000 people a year? They are killing people. In that situation. And also, yes, like, if I was looking are. at the numbers, being me, who is, I'm probably autistic, but I'm not a psychopath. If I was looking at those numbers, I would probably feel bad and quit. But a sociopath would look at those numbers and go, yeah, that's an externalized cash. Great. And continue making money. You're not wrong. Yeah. So that's where we are. So far removed because the, every little, I'm guessing, these corporations are so expansive as entities. You're such a small cog that you can defer responsibility for those 60,000 deaths. Well, I'm just doing the numbers. I just did what they taught me at that actuarial co course to crunch the numbers and work out certain probabilities. I'm not responsible for anything. I just want to get my... Nice salary each year. And then the CEO Scary, as well. Hey. The CEO is just probably thinking, hey, I just want to increase the market share for this company. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to kill anyone. Yeah. But if I'm people sure if die. Ask people who are the team leaders or whatever it may be, they probably see themselves as that benevolent chimp. Probably. But everyone probably does. That's also a problem with human nature i don't think so i remember reading a book about psychopaths and it was they knew they were different oh okay well you know they i think that's the thing is the best way that she described it like this she started this the story with this she saw a possum that had fallen into her pool and was struggling to get out and couldn't get out and so, instead of getting the pool net 
to bring the possum in and then relocate it in the park across the road, she figured it would be quicker to just drown the possum. Uh-huh. That's how- See, that's fucking chilling, isn't it? Like, you would go out of your way to be like, there you go, little guy, and put him in the woods. A sociopath does not. Okay. A sociopath right. just thinks that's a more efficient thing for my goals, so that fucking possum dies. Well, let's- it, it, let me steal, man, an, an, an oppositional point there. Are we not then harnessing the energy of sociopaths for something that would otherwise be far worse for society? Because in another era, wouldn't those sociopaths who are, let's be honest, extraordinarily clever people, wouldn't they be climbing the military ladders and, and just sending an army to their death so they can gain a little bit of territory somewhere across the cliff? Yes, and they still are. Yeah, they still are. So then- But again, World War Two and World War One combined probably killed more wars, uh, people in wars than the last thousand years of European history, easily. I mean, it would have had to, surely. If it killed maybe 200 million people all up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there would have been sociopaths that would have rose and risen the ranks, and the ones that were doing most of the killing on the field would have been low-functioning sociopaths. But that war was a result of, as Marx was pointing out, that capitalist mindset. Because they were all just looking for markets. That was mostly what the wars were about, market expansion. And not what territorial expansion as- Well, it's territorial expansion, sure. Hmm. But- that's an element of it, definitely. That's, you know, land is part of capital. So, I think it's just like they're becoming, it just inevitably, capitalism incentivizes sociopaths to do more and more horrendous things at a more and more removed level and legalizes it. I think so, anyway. Well, what would be happening? But again, like, what, if these people are just inherent, inherently psychopathic, what would they be doing in that alternate system, in that alternate universe that we were saying, hypothetically, all the powerful countries adopted Marxist ideas in the mid-1800s and we saw that to fruition and whatever the society looks like today, where would those psychopaths be? Because do you agree with me in saying that I don't think it's the system that necessarily breeds psychopathy? Maybe it- No, it encourages it. it. Maybe encourages it, sure, but there would also be plenty of times throughout history where you could find other systems that encourage plethora of psychopathic traits. More more very obviously psychopathic. We're looking at all sorts of horrendous military tactics and people- but here's the thing, Scalping right? people and burning their enemies alive and whatever it may be. And you could use anything that you wanted to justify any means, that's true. But say the material reward was being a holy man and then you got a psychopath in that system and they wanted to be the holiest man imaginable. Can you imagine that person doing as much damage as a system where it was like, your goal is to make as much money as possible. Go. <laughs> I just don't well, think- it, I think it's got to be the worst incentivized system there is. It has to be. 
Can you think of anything worse? Maybe if the goal was to kill as many people as possible, that was the goal, maybe that would be worse. But yeah, you're right. All power is always going to attract psychopaths into it. But I think that it's, yes, but what is currently powerful is a very, very bad thing to attract people into. Like, again, I can guarantee Mm. you that Exxon exec, probably a fucking sociopath, to just sit there and say, yeah, we wanted to move into the market, so we just stymied. Uh, any progress on climate change for the last 30 years deliberately. There would have to be something really fucking wrong with you to think I want the world to be permanently damaged minimum. And and in fact, I'm going to bet the entire planet. I'm going to see this as a risk to reward ratio. I'm going to see the planet as a risk to reward ratio like I'm investing in a stock. Mm, mm. You know, it's not like they're not getting those ramifications, they're fully aware of what they're doing and yet they decide to do it. You, you, there would have to be something wrong with you. Yeah, I'd imagine that, but they've also spent 30 years in climbing the ladder and, and being laser-focused on getting to a certain point and so it's just become second nature to them. It's become habitual. True. Uh Look, money is just a, a way to represent resources and wouldn't psychopaths always have an incentive to just accumulate as much resources as possible. So in this hypothetical situation where a society was looking to find the holiest man there, there was, that psychopath wouldn't actually be trying to be holy. Their conception of what holy is, is they're no. climbing that ladder there. So they're... They'd be willing to lie and, and degrade whatever the values were that were set out. Mm. But I think this is the whole point of there will be blood. I think that was what the book was based off, even though I was saying that Iron Rand doesn't work. But I think that that's what he was talking about was the whole thing is a metaphor between- Have you seen There Will Be Blood? No, I don't think I have actually. It's a great film. You should check it out. But it's Daniel Day-Lewis playing this oil tycoon. And then he's with the guy that's now- uh, the uh, Riddler in the latest Batman film, and he's a priest. And the priest does a deal with the oil tycoon to start mining for oil in his um, town so that he can basically get the money to create his church and so he can just move on and become like this great one of those 20 speakers that went on the radio and had an audience of, I don't know, 100 million Americans or something. That was obviously his end goal. And it showed that that holy man was duping his population to get there and was sort of using the oil tycoon to get to his position. And then he finds out at the end, I don't want to spoil it too much, that the oil tycoon has greatly, greatly ripped him off. Greatly ripped him off and kind of squeezed him into a position that has really impoverished him and the community. Um, And I think the whole, and the the whole thing is kind of just a metaphor for America, America's value moving away from Christianity and towards capital. And so the whole thing is that that system is just more efficient at doing damage. I think that that's the whole point of it, that 
because you're just creating these machines that do nothing but accumulate money. And that's, that's it. It's that soulless. And it's that efficient as well, because the whole way that you become a better capitalist is just by creating bigger and bigger factories, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a... M- Okay. If you can utilize that, that he, his point, okay. like, if, but, but really, like his goal. Let's sure, just put it about sure. this: that holy man might be a psychopath, right? But he, his end goal really was to get on radio and talk about Christianity and keep reminding people of Christian values and that you should be giving and all these kinds of things. So at the end, yeah, he might have screwed over his town, but the end result was him just sitting there and talking about great values to have. The end result of that man was to fuck over that town so he could go and fuck over more towns because he had more money to fuck over more towns. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie. That's a but very that damning would be the- metaphor, isn't it? That's, and it's, it's a great metaphor, it's great, right? isn't it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so dismissive of just efficiency, right? Because when... What about in something like food production? Now, I know, of course, there's been horrific costs to all-out efficiency when it comes to food production Mm. without any other thought for sustainability or the environment. But what about the very clear benefit? That is, the average person can buy bread at a far smaller percentage of their daily wage than they otherwise maybe would have because food production has become far more efficient because of the capitalist competitive pressures. I would have to look into it more, but I would imagine that it's just not that simple. I would imagine that there is... I'd imagine Well, this is the other thing, right? right, Okay, I know that, for instance, in the US, they incentivize a lot... Sorry, they subsidize a lot of these farms to create excess food. So, there's always way more food being produced than is consumed. In Australia, it's 70 million, but there's a lot of money that goes into subsidizing farming. It's not removed from this. It's like when they say a purely capitalist system, right? This is why I hate these terms because you just, it would collapse overnight. If you had a purely, this is Marx's point as well, if you had a purely capitalist system, it would collapse because you didn't have enough money going towards the infrastructure needed for the capitalists to accumulate more capital. Hmm. So what you do instead is the kind of society that we're in now where governments are perpetually paralyzed and have to just keep handing out state money to these systems. And so that's where it kind of, it's at that permanent stalemate The but they're the ones leading the charge. They're the ones moving the money. They're the ones with the money. It's an evil thing, man. Like the money that, to yeah. decide a government. And then what? Are, why do they want that? They want the government to get in there to cut their taxes and give them other people's taxes. Mm. You know? And it's so when disgusting. it comes to food yeah, production, it's, and th- it's fucked, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's like, and when it comes to food production, there would be, I'm sure, many, many, many things that they're getting subsidized for. 
as a result of that. And and I sure. would say this as well. If you had a system where they were just trying to think about food production as opposed to money, they didn't see food as a commodity. They saw it as this needs to be made so we can feed more people. I would imagine that we would be much more efficient than we are. If you probably looked into food- well, let's yeah, give the look, classic not, example just, of water theft. Of course, right? I'm not. I'm not saying this is exactly what it is. I'm just. I'm, I'm using an example to hypothetically point out that there are benefits to efficiency at all costs. There can so there can be. Do you think there can be? Yes, benefits to efficiency at all costs. And do you think more efficiency is harbored from a free market system where an array of firms are? competing against each other to increase their market share or whatever it may be. Because if there's no war, then why do you need to why do you need to compete? Maybe competing with your neighbour or something like that, or state governments are competing with each other or something. There's always some form of competition because there's always some jostling for resources and status and power and money and Again, I get, I get, coming full circle, I, for me, I think it's, okay, how best do you harness that and maybe divvy that up in a somewhat equitable way while still harnessing the potential benefits of some hyper-intelligent psychopaths out there? Well, that could be a very myopic and naive view of it. What, uh, I don't, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like now, when you're getting into the competition thing, it becomes very different. But I suppose this is the thing is <clears throat> let me put it this way I think that if more people controlled agriculture than is currently who it is, which is basically just a few mega corporations and a few old land aristocrats, really, when it comes to Australia. And more people had access to the direction of that company. That company would probably... Would probably be making more competitive decisions that created a better product. I don't think that the competition would necessarily go away. This is why yeah. companies are always saying like, we need diversity. And they're talking about a diversity of life experiences because as companies always use those examples of, I don't know, they're creating cars and then, you know, they're just thinking of ways to create efficiency in building the cars. And then a janitor comes along and says, why don't you put the wheels in like this? And then you see the the you know cars just going off the, the take a week less to produce or something like that. They're always using that example. A lot of car companies when they come in, they just get their workers that are just Mexicans or whatever to sit there and try and assemble a toy car because they want to see how they're assembling it, so they can look at more efficient ways of doing it. So there's still, I don't think that there's anything wrong with more people having a say. But if there's like a couple of mm. sociopaths having a say, they're going to direct it in very 
terrifying ways, surely. Okay. that Yeah, that process of getting to that point of power within a company is so corrupting to the individual that by the time they've got that power, they're just inept of any compassion or basic humanity. Mm. So there needs to be other voices at the table, but then the whole mantra of diversity has been bastardized as well and... How do you then prevent those other voices from stymieing potential innovation that could come about? Because you can find so many examples where regulation, red tape, government foresight has actually stifled leaps in innovation as well, leaps in creativity, whatever it may be. This is, a, this is yeah, this gets out of my um, depth as well. I just, uh, I have no idea. Uh, do, do you have any concluding thoughts on on this topic, on Marx, on the man, the myth, the legend? I think this is all I can say about it. I think he's right. That's it. Far away in the comments. But I think that his critique of why the system is broken is pretty hard to deny. Okay. Yeah, fair. <laughs> fair. What, what's your conclusion? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like discussing these sorts of things, but... But again, and this is my other conclusion as well. Are there flaws in the system without a doubt? Am I wary of the direction the system may be going in without a doubt? Do I have the utmost faith in the alternative that many people are prescribing? I don't know. I'll say that. That's it. Well, but, it's always the same thing. It's like, what's your alternative? And then you just get into endless arguments because exactly, it's always yeah. hard to offer an alternative. But an analysis of a problem that big, you've got to give the man credit. He's basically Without said- it's, it, Das Capital, you know what Das Capital really is? Here's what's wrong with the world. That's what it is. That's how it should be translated. It's a big red pill to swallow. To yes. sort of read well, it really is. Really it, it is. It is a big red <laughs> pill. It's a big red book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I have no doubt the comment section on this one is going to be uh, heated Read and fascinating. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening to that one, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. We will. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys.